Hello and welcome to Sticky from the Inside, the employee engagement podcast that looks at how to build stickier, competition-smashing, consistently successful organisations from the inside out. I'm your host, Andy Gorham, and I'm on a mission to help more businesses turn the lights on behind the eyes of their employees, light the fires within them, and create tons more success for everyone. This podcast is for all those who believe that's something worth going after and would like a little help and guidance in achieving that. Each episode, we dive into the topics that can help create what I call stickier businesses, the sort of businesses where people thrive and love to work and where more customers stay with you and recommend you to others because they love what you do and why you do it. So if you want to take the tricky out of being sticky, listen on. Okay, then, if you've ever seen or read about Patrick Lencioni's five dysfunctions of a team, you'll know it's based on a pyramid. At the base of that pyramid, the thing that's your first port of call in unlocking the full potential of your team is trust. You'll also know that at the top of that structure comes results. And the theory is you need to work your way up from building trust to facing into conflict to gaining commitment around a shared vision through to ensuring that team members take full accountability for behavior and actions. And then, and only then, can you successfully and sustainably concentrate on driving the outcomes, those results. So why is it that so many managers and leaders, especially those with a focus on operations, tend to ignore the first few levels and pile straight into a focus on results, and then wonder why things collapse or the team never quite reaches its full potential? Is it too hard to work through the other levels? Does it take too long in the face of other pressures? Are sustainable results just a nice to have? And and when I say that out loud, it sounds pretty daft. Well, with me today is a seasoned operator, Bill Walker, who can help objectively talk about these challenges and offer up some practical solutions on how to engage and sustainably get the best out of your teams. He spent the last 25 years operating at board level in various PLC and private equity-backed businesses across gaming, leisure, and retail sectors. He's got hands-on experience leading senior teams and initiate and deliver transformational change in complex and challenging situations. He's delivered business turnaround and cultural change programs and is passionate about making a difference in a deeply, and this is important for this podcast, practical way. And he's even developed his own signature process to do this, which he calls the dynamic timeline. Hey, Bill, welcome to the show. Thanks, Andy. It's absolutely fantastic to be with you. Thank you. It's great to have you here, mate. We've known each other for for a good while now. Um, But my listeners don't know you particularly well. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about you and what you're up to at the moment? Yeah, well, I'm kind of, I was trying to be semi-retired, but I've made a really bad job of that, and uh, I'm probably probably busier than ever. Uh, I've just got too much energy to stop. But uh, as you said in the intro, uh, operations is is what I do and what I've always done. And many many businesses, right through retail, leisure, uh, pubs, uh, uh, out-of-town retail, uh, you name it, I've done it over the years, and uh, mostly in, in my latter career with private equity companies. Uh, and that was where uh, you were in a turnaround situation very often. And it was 
change management, basically. You know, it was about, you know, influencing uh, and, 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 and possibly redirecting and changing the direction of businesses and, and that's kind of what I do. That's that, that's what I enjoy. And and for me it's all it's, it's a people thing. It's it's people centered and that's that's what excites me. I've always worked in businesses with scale with lots of people. Uh and uh, you mentioned trust and that really is fundamental foundational as Lencioni said. Absolutely. And I think this is going to be a fascinating conversation. Well I would say that but we've got We've got an operator, an out-and-out operator in yourself, and a self-confessed marketer for me. In the past, that's a bit like Ghostbusters, just don't cross the streams, you know, danger happens. I, I think we've kind of busted that myth between us in our working relationship. Definitely. definitely. But, uh, and but I we're think, interdependent, Andy. Interdependent. I think that is the case, my friend. Gone are the days where marketing and operations just snarl at each other and smile at each other around the ball table and... And walk away. I think today, working in harmony and bringing our friends in in HR in. I mean that that is a powerful triangle: marketing yeah. operations and, and HR, and getting stuff done. Particularly when we're talking about culture change and transformation, all those kind of good things. So, go back to that intro that I spouted on about at the start of the the podcast, Bill. This Lencioni triangle. If we use that as our backdrop, yeah. and my take on you know baseline trust you got to start there and work your way through and my thesis the operators tend to go straight to the top of that triangle and focus yeah. on results i mean yeah. am i just looking at that one eyed or is that reality no I, th- I think that pretty much is reality and when you think about it logically and uh, why but why do you hire operators you hire operators to implement and execute stuff mm. and that's about making stuff happen and it's about getting on with things and the sort of people that tend to move into and thrive in operations are very task orientated mm. uh, and, and in many ways that's a good thing but uh, as I discovered early in my career uh, you know if you look at the old if, if you look at my own personal profile Andy the uh, I, I, nobody talks about Belbin anymore but when I was a boy it was all about Belbin team dynamics team working and so on and my profile was Shaper and if you remember that one I don't know if you remember this Andy but the, the, the image was a little whip I and, do remember uh, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and 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 that was very much my style. You know, results, you know, top of the pyramid. I was there all the time. Accountability. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's what I lived and breathed. What I hadn't realised in my early career was I was, I was sort of, maybe embellishing it a bit, but probably leaving a trail of destruction behind me. You know, <laughs> uh, Awake. It wasn't so good. And uh, I realised, I realised fast, you know, through, through painful experience that, this was a people thing. This really is about relationships, you know, and, and that's within operations teams and cross-functionally and so on. And over the years, I think I've developed some tools and techniques to accelerate that process of building trust. But uh, I'm not surprised at all that the operators uh, go for results because at every trading meeting on a Monday morning, that's what they're challenged on. So, you know, why wouldn't they? And, and the conjecture that I put at the front about Yes, there's the results focus. There's a, a focus on it from that particular department's perspective. I get that. But getting sustainable results is going to take engagement, trust, all those good good things, right? You go back to that even older chart of uh, forming, storming, norming, yeah, performing, yeah. All, all that kind of yeah. uh, stuff um, from before. But why, why is there almost this aversion to kind of do your time and earn your stripes going through the pyramid? Is it that the things just take too long? Do they get in the way? I mean, what's what's your view? 
I, 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 I don't think there's an appreciation of, yeah, I think Covey summed it up nicely mm. with, with people, fast is slow and slow is fast. Uh, and you know, you know, it's it's fine saying we're gonna we're gonna focus on impact and intensity and all these sort of things, but the reality is, people do not respond well or quickly to you know that type of approach. Mm. You've, it's about hearts and minds. You've got to get people on side. Uh, Andy, I know you're very passionate about purpose. Yeah. There's got to be a there's got to be a, a a reason for being. There's got to be a re- my job has got to be relevant and it's got to uh, fit into the bigger picture and that's got to be clear. Uh, and in many many organisations, there's a perception that that takes too long. All that stuff takes too much time. You know, I know from experience that it's worth the effort. It does take time. It's not going to change overnight. And some people are never going to come on the journey, but it most will if you create the conditions where they can do that. I'm a big fan of putting your time and effort and energy into those guys who really want to come with you first. I know there are other schools of thought that, you know, when you're thinking about pursuing these things is to focus well, it's maybe a natural t- uh, tendency to focus on the guys who are just not on the bus and you put a lot of time and energy into those guys, but you're wasting, you're wasting the momentum you can build. I think of getting the guys who already are there or want to be there in kind of creating a bow wave to bring everybody else with them. I mean, do you think the same thing? I, or? I, I totally agree with you. And, and I, I, interestingly, I was talking to, to, to a client the other day, uh, and uh, they were talking about concentrating in the bottom twenty percent of oh. uh, of of uh, stores that were underperforming, uh, and you know that's absolutely the wrong thing to do. What you want to do is focus on the top twenty percent initially, and you know that that notion that all all boats rise with the tide, and it's getting those managers and teams fired up and focused that make a difference. That that as you say, use the bow waves a good a good. Uh, uh, sort of analogy to actually get the momentum going. Then we can deal with this stuff at the other end. But um, you know, you, you want to you want to you want to create followers. You want to create momentum, uh, and you're not going to be doing that. You know, with these the you know the bottom ten percent, twenty percent that in reality might contribute five percent to profitability or something like that in, the, in an organisation. Hundred percent. And when I when I talk to business, we often talk about trying to create a movement. You know, some some yeah. some kind of willingness in people to do things, and it's a it's a lot easier uh, to concentrate on those guys who who are there or partway there to get yeah. them over the hill. And I think you're you're right. Once you get a mass and a momentum, then actually this is not about ignoring the bottom performers because that is equally dangerous. Absolutely, but it is about, I guess. Uh, this thing that winning needs witnesses, right? If you can show that yeah. that winning is possible, that the feat is achievable, it makes it more believable for people who are perhaps finding it tougher. Um, That's spot on. And we can, we, on. Can, we can follow those footsteps going forward. Yeah, yeah and uh, it emphasises as well, Andy, I'm not saying the underperformers aren't important. You need to deal with the underperformers. Of course. But you've got to get your priorities right. You've got to put the emphasis in the right place. It's you want to make heroes out of those 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 high performers and and and, you know, uh, you know, we want to use those as role models and, and uh, advocates towards no, the purpose. I, I, I agree with that. And I think the sort of, if you take a, a second climb up the, the, ne- the next rung on that pyramid to mix <laughs> metaphors completely, yeah. the thing about facing into conflict, when you talk about purpose and you talk about engagement, people can naturally jump into the, oh, it's all 
fluffy and nice and it's all about being lovely to each other and i don't think it could be further from the truth and i think that second rung on that pyramid about you know dysfunctional teams don't face into conflict functional teams deal with it and in your experience how's that manifest itself for you you know, I think I think the notion of conflict is important. I think it was Blanchard that said uh, conflicting ideas is good. What you've got to worry about is conflicting people. Uh, and nice. I've worked in environments, particular operational environments, where you know there's lots of egos in the room, and and things become a bit of a contest. Right. And that's bonkers. It's completely nuts. You know, let's focus on our purpose. Let's focus on our customers. Let's focus on our people. And let's pull this in the same direction. And if you can diffuse that and, and, and remove that those negative undercurrents and get some sort of common purpose and, and alignment, and uh, an expression I love is shared meaning. You know, we're really clear here about what we do and how we do it and how we go about it. And uh, we've got psychological safety where we can challenge and it's encouraged. But all of that at the bottom of the pyramid again is trust. And if that trust isn't there and it just it's just not going to work because oh, the boss has got a hidden agenda. You know, what's he really up to here and all that? So you get suspicion uh, and you get all those undercurrents that are toxic, really, really unhelpful. So let's face into this trust thing, right? And and the perspective of, oh, it's too hard. It takes too long. And I know you have a theory about it's possible as an operator, as a red meat eating results getting operator, that yeah. you can actually accelerate how you build trust, right? So let, let's, let's concentrate on that for a bit. So in your experience, how do you go about accelerating trust not glossing over it not shortchanging yeah. it but how can you accelerate that building of trust i developed a, a, a something called a personal contract and, and and it sounds very grand but it's not and it's beautifully simple mm. and that that's that, that that's why it's so powerful you know if i say to someone you know i, I used to move into businesses that was maybe there for four or five years doing turnaround type stuff and so on and people don't trust you because you've, you've been brought in by the private equity backers and all that sort of thing. And the last thing they're going to do is trust you. So uh, if I say to people, trust me, it's going to have the opposite effect. <laughs> yeah. um, so I needed a mechanism to, uh, or a process to actually accelerate build, building trust. And how, how I would frame it, Andy, was I would ask people, you know, and, and, and it might be direct reports, it could be peers, people you work closely with. Mm. It was very much a, a conversation around um, how do I get the best out of you? And how do you get the best out of me? I'd ask you to think about the very best working relationships you've been involved in. What were the characteristics of that? What were the things that made it that way? And I think we've all had those empathetic relationships, Andy, where, you know, I've worked for bosses, you know, I knew what he was thinking. I knew what she was thinking. We, you know, we hardly had to discuss it because we were so aligned. It was in the groove sort of thing. And, you know, I loved that. And that's what that's what, that's what I was, what was aiming for. That's what I was trying to replicate. So self-awareness was important as well. And, and you had to be humble. Now, if, if you've got a huge ego, this just ain't going to work for you. You know, it is about servant leadership fundamentally. And the way the contract would work would be, 
I would make a statement and I would write it down, shit of A4 sort of thing. And, and, and then, then the other person would make a statement and I would make a statement. And an example would be my first opening one would always be my intentions are always positive would be my statement. And then you develop a qualifying conversation around, you know, that means I don't have any hidden agendas. What you see is what you get. And if you ever doubt that, or you're never, if you're not sure about that, I expect you to challenge me. I want you to say something uh, uh, to me. And mostly, you know, the, the, the interesting thing was from, from the other person in the contract, it was very much about be honest with me, be open with me. So already you're starting to have some sort of dialogue where you're giving each other permission to give feedback. And it and takes time, dynamite. though, right? It does take oh, time. It, it, right? it does take time. And, and how we do this was it probably took about an hour to, to, to go through and have really good conversations about. So explain what you mean by that. And maybe you summarize and paraphrase. Have I got that? Do I really understand that? And then we'd say, right, you know, we'd, we'd have routine, regular one-to-one sessions. Uh, and and that, that's part of the process as well about building trust. You need routines at those sessions. In the early days, you'd say, how am I doing against my personal contract? Am I doing everything I said I'd do? And am, I, am I not doing the things that you said you don't want me to do? And vice versa. And it gives you that, that open and honest dialogue, that circular dialogue that's very powerful. Yeah, I think that if you think about it, I think that question of what do you need from me to be able to be at your best when we're at work? It's a pretty simple but powerful question. Yeah, Andy, I, I think as a leader, your job is to enable, to facilitate. You're a catalyst, and 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 you're you're there to create the conditions, to create the environment where people can excel. You're looking for you want curious minds back to conflict again. People with curious minds will ask lots of questions, and that's great, and it should be encouraged. Lots of leaders don't like that. They don't mm-hmm. like lots of questions because, you know, when you crash test their idea, it, it, it may be flawed. And they're back to being humble again. So the whole thing's linked. And I think a lot of it is stylistic and using a little bit of process to, to get you there. But certainly over the years, I've probably been using personal contracting for over 20 years. And I can honestly say it's the most powerful tool in my toolbox uh for building really powerful relationships and you know ma- many times you know and, and, and people you know, my direct reports have said to me bill they put their hand up and say in the spirit of our personal contract eg i think you've been defensive or i think you've got a hidden agenda or you know i don't think you've been straight with me what a great conversation to have i would rather have that out in the open discuss it deal with it and move on than not the other thing i'd say andy is you clearly need to walk the talk you, yeah. you need you need to do what you say you're going to do, and and uh, you, or you'll get found out very very quickly. You know it, it can't be a facade; it's got to be real in, in, in your heart. Authenticity is so important, and and uh, people can see through disingenuousness if that's even a word in a heartbeat, right? Yeah, uh, and I suspect Absolutely. I suspect when you're having that first conversation, when you're introducing the notion of a personal contract, you got. I don't know, a different set of reactions from different people, right? I, you must have people that go, oh, well, this is interesting. And others who maybe sit back in the chair, cross the arms and go, okay, come on then. <laughs> Generally, what's the experience? What sort of things do you encounter? It, it's, it's, it's a bit awkward. 
it's a bit, uh, it seems a bit wacky. And you're saying to people, look, just go with the flow here. Trust me, you know, yeah, trust me. Uh, go with the flow and, and see and see see how it how it is. And, you know, and what we do is we stop maybe halfway through. How's this working for you? But what you do find is it teases out some excellent conversations. And some of them on the negative side, look, mm. I had a boss who did this. And that really racked me off and I never want to experience anything like that again and so on. So you're starting to already uh, connect deeply with the person. The objective is you want the whole person at work. You don't want something superficial or somebody, you know, sort of playing to the gallery and so on. You, you just want them to be themselves and be the best they can be. Oh, look, I 100% agree with that. But it must feel it must feel strange for some people. So in those conversations, what's the balance between work and personal because bringing in personal connection is a, is a key contributor to, to trust yeah. and in your experience what's what's the sort of balance that you've tried to strike up well I, you know I tended to concentrate on you know uh, how can we get the best out of each other at work that was yeah. my, my priority mm. clearly you know sort of home family and those sort of things came out in conversation but I must say that that, that I never designed the personal contract to do that mm. that was more in a social environment or whatever we'd, we'd, we'd uh, uh, catch up in those things but uh, I just wanted to ensure that when we were together it was highly productive and we were getting the best out of each other so I didn't I didn't major on the the personal side of it you know and and some people are very private and, and that's cool sure and, and and others want to be very open and that and, that, and that's cool too I think it's really interesting and maybe that's just this is just we're all different shapes and colors and and we all get different stuff but I think trying to find those personal connections can go a long way to building genuine, authentic levels of yeah. trust. Showing to somebody that they matter and are significant, not just at work, but as a person. Again, I'm not diving into the world of fluffiness here. I think that helps back up all the things that you're saying at work. If you're taking an interest in the person as an individual, you know, yeah. not just as a commodity, to, to, 100%. to get the most out of work. And I think this is where some people fall out with engagement and what have you, because the focus tends to be around, oh, productivity. What are we going to get out of somebody? And people go, well, hang on, we work hard enough. You're trying to get more out of us. Yeah. And this is where the, the, the danger of misinterpreting what engagement is about, right? It, yeah. It's a two-way street. This is about people feeling better and happier and more confident uh, at work and at home in, a, in an environment where they can naturally do their best stuff. And actually by doing your best stuff and achieving more and feeling, it makes you feel good. You go home, you have a better home life too. It's, a, it's about a balance. It's not, in my view, just about squeezing the last drop out of somebody at work because that's not beneficial for anyone. And I'd come out from a completely different angle. You, you, won't, you won't be surprised to learn. No, no, no. I've never, maybe early in my career, uh, I even subconsciously was trying to do that to maximise everything. But uh, certainly what I've learned in, in, in later years is that it's, and again, this is back to the leader again. It's about that vulnerability, the psychological safety. I don't have all the answers. I, yeah. don't, I don't know. You know, and, and what we do is we are clearing the purpose and, the, the, and, and very results orientated, Andy. I'm certainly not pink and fluffy. It was about, uh, <laughs> you know, it was about, you, you've got to hit the numbers. But how do we do that together? 
uh, participatively through people. And, you know, we, we chuck stuff at the wall. The exam question, right, who could we get 10% like for light growth? What would we have to do? What would, and okay, maybe, maybe we actually land on a target of 3% or 4%, but start big and then move it back and have people involved, everyone involved uh, in, in that. And, you know, in bigger organisations that we've worked in, Andy, that's important cross-functionally as well. It's not just, uh, you know, you know the, the sort of operations team, uh, you know, beavering away in one direction. You know, this has got to spread through the organisation. And if it's if it's challenging, it's rewarding, people are creative. And, you know, I, I think probably the most frequent thing I said as leaders, I don't know. You know, how, how, how do we do that? Let's be creative. I think that's really interesting. Come back to that point you made before about sometimes leaders don't like lots of questions because old-fashioned leaders think they have to have all the answers. Um, 100%. And therefore, yeah. the more questions you ask me, the more daft I'm going to look because I don't have the answers. Or yeah. I'm going to make up stuff that you can see through that makes me look stupid. So let's not bother with that. Whereas the yeah. complete opposite is beneficial for everybody. Because I think... I mean, people who listen to this podcast will get bored of me saying the same thing, but that vulnerability piece, you know, humans have an innate need to help people. They want to help people. But if we smell that someone doesn't need help, we walk on to the next soul to try and help mm -hmm. somebody who does need help. So if yeah. you're a manager who is giving off the vibes, I got this covered, I don't need your help, you're never going to engage those people yeah. because it's we smell that the pheromones are telling us you don't need anything yeah. from me. So therefore I don't yeah. need to give you anything. Yeah, and it's not fulfilling and it's not rewarding. You know, would I like to work in an environment like that? Absolutely not. You know, you want, you, you want to be around like-minded people. And, and I know it's a, it's like a truism, you know, that no one comes to work to do a bad job. People don't come to work to do a bad job. And as a leader, you owe it to your people to create an environment where they can shine, where they can excel and be the best they can be. And often uh, there's so much talent there and, and the individual themselves can't see it. You can, perhaps. So how do you put them in a position? How do you put them in situations where they're stretched? Not, not to breaking point, but stretched and, and they're well out of their comfort zone. And that's where the magic happens. That's where you get truly high-performing teams, people doing things that they really didn't think they could do. Uh, well, absolutely. Uh, look, we're in the uh, last throws of the Olympics at the moment, and I, I apologise. I will get the pronunciation of their surname incorrect, but the two young twins, the Garda Rover twins who represented yeah. Great Britain in gymnastics, I mean, fantastic first competition for them. But I remember them saying something like, uh, there were loads of times when it got tough that we, we wanted to quit, but and our coaches were pushing us really hard and it was really, really tough. But we made a decision to keep going with it because if we quit now, we would never know what we were really capable of. Yeah. And I thought for yeah. kids that young to have that kind of mindset is, is incredible. Uh, and a great job for their coaches to, to work with and to, and to inspire those kids to, to keep going. But that... That is a truism itself of pushing people to achieve more, but the method by which you push them to achieve more and the benefit they will get when they do achieve more, the feeling that they yeah. will get, whether it's confidence, self-awareness, I don't know, a sense of achievement. It's such an important role for, for, for a leader. And then you come back to the thing you're talking about, about no one wants to come to work to do a bad job uh, or no one has all the answers. I mean, 
there are answers in lots of employees to problems that businesses have. The thing is, half the time, they've never been asked to contribute. They've never been involved in the conversation. They've never been asked for their opinion or, or an idea. And listen, not everybody's ideas and opinions are going to be the thing that solves a problem. But just yeah. opening the gates and letting these things come through is so important. Why, why do you yeah. think it's not more commonplace, Bill? Because everyone's in a hurry. Right. Uh, you know, there's a demand for results. It's a bit short term rather than long term. But at the end of the day, Andy, businesses are about people. And, and you know, again, probably self-evident what I'm saying here, but yeah, products critically important. You know, digitization, AI, all that stuff is really important. Innovation, it's all incredibly important. But it's all done by people. Mm. It all starts in someone's head and then moves through to, you know, an idea comes to reality and then implementation and so on. And I, I keep going back to that same thing about uh I suppose many people can't see it or don't realise it, but that whole piece about the environment you create as a leader will determine your level of success. You know, the more time and effort you put into it, the more benefit you're likely to get at the end. And, you know, as Lencioni says, you know, results come at, come at the end of the, or the top of the pyramid. Uh, and it's that old input-output thing. Absolutely. Nothing, those results without, are- nothing without effort. Right, exactly. But those results are more sustainable, which is where this kind of balance between short-termism and long-term results and focus is always a really interesting balance for me. I mean, it's too easy to say it's because... It's because of the private equity cycle, <laughs> you know. Yeah. It's it's a three it's a three year turnaround. You've got to get results now, 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 now. Uh, we're not interested in seven years ahead. That's somebody else's yeah. problem. I think that's a bit too simplistic. But I don't know what's but your. Don't view? you think, Andy? You, you and I have both worked in that environment. Yeah, and you know, I, I, I enjoy that. You know, I, you know that. Uh, you know, I think one of the reasons that the private equity guys like like working with me was I could s- simplify the complex and engage the front line. I was very clear that you know at the end of the month I had to hit these numbers, but I maybe didn't go about it in a in a traditional way, if you like. You know, it was more about yeah, I constantly focused on enabling, enabling others, creating an environment for high performance, uh, and you know, and, and and it works. It does work. I've proved it works. So in all of your experience, and we've, we've talked uh, a, a bit about the, the personal contract, are there any other things that stand out for you as ways that you helped you accelerate that level of trust in your teams to start to release the full potential? Yeah, I, th- I think there's a couple of things. I did. One would be, bear in mind, the personal contract is personal. It's, yeah. it's one-to-one. Mm-hmm. You know, that doesn't create the environment necessarily for the team. You know, it does between the leader and, and the individuals in that team. Uh, I think there's something about uh, routines. And uh, if, if uh, your listeners haven't watched the Simon Sinek uh, Intensity v. Consistency YouTube clip, they should do, because that sums it up brilliantly. And this notion that rhythm, operational rhythm, I call it, is crucial, that you will have a one-to-one once, once, once a month and you won't cancel it because it's really, really important because you really matter to me. You know, and uh, I'm, I'm going to allocate that quality time, whether it's 30 minutes or an hour, but I'm going to do it. And similarly, with routine team meetings, it might be four weeks, six weeks, but you would regroup in a regular basis. And at those uh, meetings, there would be some ground rules or protocols you would expect. And some of, some of, some of the, the ones I loved were turn up thoughtful. 
Right. I would expect everyone at that meeting to have turned up thoughtful. I would expect everyone at that meeting to have clear expectations of what's going to make it time well spent for them. And, you know, I, I, you know, I, I, meetings, meetings drive me mad. And people just rocking up to, to, to sit there for an hour or a day is just ludicrous, isn't it? Yeah. So some of those things would be important. And, and, and you know, another, you know, things around uh, one at a time, uh, you know, war stories, all this sort of stuff. So we had about, you know, half a dozen ground rules to say, you know, uh, you know, if, if anyone's not doing these things or doing things that they shouldn't be, you know, let, let's make sure we challenge and keep it moving, keep the momentum going. And, you know, focus on solutions, obviously. You know, you know don't bring along a load of problems. Let, let's give us a few options for how we might overcome them. Uh, uh, really important, really important. Uh, I... I <laughs> There's too many meetings we've all rocked up to going, what is this meeting and why why yeah. are we here? What, what are we going to talk about today? And then everybody's spitballing instead of actually making any progress. And Andy, I suspect it's, it's, I suspect it's getting even worse with the advent of Zoom and so on because it's easier to switch off and... Uh, uh, you know, how do we keep people in the room, you know, and, and, and engaged and fired up? I think that's the, the holy grail. And it all comes back to that involvement piece. I think if you've got some skin in the game or involvement in, in the game, it's yeah. it's it's easier to stay awake and, uh, and, and contribute than just being a passenger. And we don't really want a ton of passengers. I think it's time to delve into what I call sticky notes, Bill, because yeah. there's lots of things that we've, we've covered, but, I think for the for the benefit of our listeners, what what would be great would be to summarise your experience, twenty five years experience in three sticky notes, mate. That sort of say, right, if you want to accelerate trust, these are the top three things that are that I would do. What would you put on your three sticky notes, Bill? I would definitely recommend the personal contract, with the caveat it will feel a bit awkward, <laughs> but you know, I promise you. Just do it. It works. And, and it's just a catalyst for some excellent conversations. And that, that will form a foundation for uh, a, a productive, trusting, uh, constructive uh, relationship. So I, I, would, I would definitely say that's sticky note number one. Number two, I think uh, there is something about vulnerability. Mm. Uh, and, and that is just saying you don't know. You know, I defy any leader to tell you, know, I know you know, I've got all the answers. Well, that's just blooming ludicrous, and, and people know that. And, you know, no involvement, no commitment. You know, how do you get involvement and commitment? You ask questions. You you you, you engage, and you say, you know, I don't know, guys. Here's the here's the exam question. Let, 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 let's get our heads let's get our heads around that. And and my final one would be, uh, don't be a smart ass. <laughs> Act with humility and respect. You know, I've got no time for the big big egos and all that nonsense. It's just you know. Go and compete somewhere else. You know that this is about pulling in the same direction within an organisation. Well, what a surprise! Three very practical uh, sticky notes from the operator. I like that. Nice, clear, simple, concise. Give everybody a chance to try and build that trust, accelerate the building of trust, not leaping over it. I think that's that's great. Really, really good. I will dig out that. Simon Sinek video and stick it in the show notes with a bunch of other things that we've covered today, Bill. Thanks so much for your time, mate. I've loved catching up with you and listening to the seasoned operator that you are. Tell us, well, tell us why that conflict between trust and results is there, but how we can kind of bridge the gap and get some sustainable results rather than just short term. Thanks ever so much, mate. Really appreciate that. 
An absolute pleasure, Andy. Thank you for having me. All right. Take care, my friend. Okay, that was Bill Walker. And if you'd like to find out a bit more about some of the things we've talked about today, please check out the show notes. So that concludes today's episode. I hope you've enjoyed it, found it interesting, and heard something maybe that will help you become a stickier, more successful business from the inside going forward. If you have, please like, comment, and subscribe. It really helps. I'm Andy Gorham, and you've been listening to the Sticky from the Inside podcast. Until next time, thanks for listening.